Have I, guys, ever told you the story? I mean, our story. Like how Amber and I met and eventually got married? I will. Well, it starts back in 2011. All right? That was half my life ago. It's 10 years, I know. It's about half my life. It's, not, it's a little less than half my life. But it's about half my life ago. It's been a long story. It's been a big part of my life. So in 2011, the Church of God General Conference had their general conference in Omaha, Nebraska. Right? And in case you're wondering what I looked like in this time of my life, this is me in circa 2011. <laughs> uh, if you have the unfortunate pleasure of knowing me at this age, um, I mean, I was still nice, but I was a little dorky. I, I still am, just better hiding it. And so this is me around 2011. I was 15 years old at the time, and Amber was 17. And I definitely noticed Amber at a general conference. And I wouldn't say I liked her but I was interested in getting to know her better. So I decided to introduce myself to Amber at, at this general conference. And I, I had, like, known of her, but, like, I never really talked to her. I was never really her friend or anything like that. And I wasn't really the guy to go introduce myself to anyone, especially a girl. So I nervously walked up to Amber and extended my, set, extended my hand. I said, hi, I, I'm Josiah Kane. And she puts her hand out, and we start shaking hands. She's like, hey, I'm Amber. And in case you don't know, Amber's just a little quirky. Okay. <laughs> Which led to the most like, awkward 20 seconds I could imagine. So she wouldn't stop shaking my hand. <laughs> she just kept holding on and shaking my hand and like, staring like, straight into my eyes. I was like, this is... This is weird. It literally felt like this handshake was lasting forever. My guess it was probably 20 seconds, which is a really long handshake. And I was like, who is this person? Like, just like super weird. The super, like the weirdest first experience I've ever had meeting someone to this day was meeting Amber. Uh, it's just, yeah, it was interesting. So, um, she didn't really have much interest in liking me. I mean, look at me. <laughs> I mean, it's not, no one would blame her for not jumping on the cane train right away. <laughs> so, for the rest of the conference, right, I mean, she was friendly to me. She wasn't mean or anything like that. But you, you could definitely tell uh, she didn't have that kind of interest in me. So, for the rest of the conference, we didn't talk that much. We didn't have that many meaningful conversations, at least that I can remember. And the next thing I do remember about Amber is us having Facebook conversations. So it's messaging back and forth on Facebook. And I was trying to st- strike up a conversation in any way that I could. I remember asking her stuff about her favorite school subjects and things like that. And that's where I learned that we both played the French horn. We both played the mellophone and marching band. She was a field commander that she had a passion for Spanish, and that she wanted to be a teacher. I also shared many personal details about myself, but I know these conversations didn't resonate in her mind like they did in mine, because she does not even remember having those conversations with me. However, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember them quite well. 
And let's just say for many years after that, my interest in Amber was mostly one-sided. I soon realized that there was not much purpose in me keeping up these conversations and, and pushing the issue, so I just let the line go cold. And over the next couple of years, I kind of just put it aside. And I, I went through another relationship in high school. Um, I ended that, and I ended up going to Bible college in 2014. And there, my mind returned to Amber. Every time I met Amber over the course of the years uh, between General Conference and uh, 2014, I just remember being impressed by her passion and her zeal for ministry. I just really appreciated who she was. And so as a freshman at Bible college, I was like, hmm, there's something special about Amber. Maybe I do like her. And, you know, I I wasn't really sure because I hadn't talked to her that much. But there came a golden opportunity for me, okay, to make myself available to Amber. So this is Amber's third year of college, and she's going to study abroad in Costa Rica, which means that she has none of the comforts of her home, she has no friends, and she's surrounded by people that don't speak her first language, which means that it's the perfect time for Josiah Kane to talk to her and be her lifeline back to the United States. And I would say this is when our friendship actually started, was while she was in a different country. So she, was, she would talk to me. I don't think she was romantically interested in me at all at this point. But I was a friendly voice to keep her grounded in the States. And I was never, never late on a response. I was always there to talk. And I know that she wasn't romantically interested in me because when she got back to the States, I stopped hearing from her. <laughs> at least, I mean, we would still talk occasionally but it was very superficial, you know, just like, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? That kind of thing. So during the months in Costa Rica were kind of the golden age of our friendship. And then there was another year or so after that where we didn't talk that much. But I was patient. I was a patient friend. And I never pushed. I never made it, you know, super obvious until a little later. But I was always there. And here comes the most ironic part of the story, which is also my favorite part. Amber was getting frustrated with trying to find a boy that she liked. And because uh, it was just, you know, back and forth, things weren't going super well for her. And she asked her mom, you know, I'm just tired of boys. They're all stupid. Um, Will you just pick one for me? Just, you just pick one. I trust you. And Jill said, what about Josiah Cain? To which Amber replied something along the lines of, like, are you crazy? (laughs) I'm never going to trust your opinion in boys again. But I stayed around. I was a friend. And what also helped me is that I was also good friends with Rick outside of my friendship with Amber. It's always good to have the parents in your court. So I was, I was always chatting up Rick, chatting up Jill. He was on the board of directors. When he came down to Atlanta, I was there. We'd go out to eat. We'd have a good time. We'd, we'd spend hours talking. And so it really helped me to be good friends with Rick and Jill. What didn't help me, however, was that I'm awkward. And uh, I like to tell people random facts and my favorite thing to watch are documentaries. Those are weird things about me. I know that. Um, and, but despite my weirdness, for whatever reason, I started to grow on Amber. 
right? And so at this point, I've had a crush on Amber for three years, okay? And I, I did not look at anybody else. I did not talk to anybody else. You know, like, I, I was not interested in another relationship because I knew Amber is special and there's no one else that I want to pursue. And this is the truth. Even the gentlest wind, given enough time, can wear down a mountain. <laughs> so after three years, she decided that she kind of liked me back. And from there, the rest went pretty smoothly. It's pretty much simple history from that point. We uh, started dating. We really liked each other. We uh, started dating in 2016, got engaged in 2017, and got married in 2017. So over the, about a year and a half. And now we've been happily married for four years. Yeah. At least I've been happily married. You'll have to talk to her about it to see what she thinks. The point is that having the backstory gives us context, right? It, it lets you understand people better. It lets you understand who they are and what they're about better. And having the backstory of Amber and I's relationship probably is not going to have a huge impact on your life. But what will have a big impact on your life is God's backstory. The backstory to his kingdom. So if we want to correctly understand God and who he is and what he's doing in this world, we have to look at his story. We have to see what he's doing. And that's what we're going to be doing today. So we're going to be looking at the origins of the kingdom. And we're starting a kingdom series where we're going to be talking about God's plans for this world. This week... We're talking about the origins of the kingdom. Next week, we're going to be talking about what the kingdom looks like in the future. And then the week after that, we're going to be talking about how that future reality affects how we should live today. So if you would, to start a conversation, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. All the way to the beginning. So in the beginning of Genesis, God creates everything. And he places on this earth humans. And he gives the humans the job of ruling over creation. And Adam and Eve are these first people. Right? You probably have heard this stuff before. God places Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve in paradise in the Garden of Eden. That's what Eden means in Hebrew. It just means paradise. And in this paradise, there's only one rule. And it's don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says you... You can eat from anything else in this garden, but don't eat from this tree. And then the serpent shows up on the scene, the adversary, and Adam and Eve uh, get tempted. Eve gets tempted, she eats the fruit. Adam falls in line, he eats the fruit. And this is when things derail. God has to shut down paradise because sin has entered into the world. And sin is always accompanied by punishment, it always has negative consequences. Adam's punishment was that the world, the earth, would no longer produce its fruit with the ease that it did before. Eve's uh, pain, her punishment, is that childbirth would no longer be uh, painless. It would involve much sorrow for many months. And the biggest thing that changed was that death was now introduced into the natural order, order of things. And God had a punishment for the serpent as well. I want, that's what we're going to be looking at. What did God say to the serpent? Look at verse 14 and 15 with me. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, because he's tempted and caused man to fall, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, 
and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is the as early as it gets. All the way back, these are the first verses in which God is showing us his plans for what's going to happen. He's talking about the coming Messiah. He's talking about how the, the adversary is going to strike this descendant of Eve, and he's going to strike him back, but a much more deadly blow. And this is actually talking about Jesus and his resurrection, death and resurrection, and talking about his triumph over sin and death. But this is the first time we see God talking about his plans for the world. And an important observation we can make from this beginning story is that God created, created everything the way he wanted it to be. He created it good. He created it a paradise. And if he created it this way, it kind of assumes that he wants it this way in the end. Right? And so that's what we know we can head towards. That's why knowing the backstory is important because where we're coming from where we're coming from informs where we are going. So this point is even made more clear as we survey the Old Testament. We see hints of what God is doing in the world, and we see hints about his kingdom. God begins to lay the foundation for what he wants in the world by choosing a people to work through. That's what we looked through uh, this morning in Sunday school. That we can build, that he could build this holy and righteous nation. And he does that through Abraham. This is what Genesis chapter 12 says. The Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. This is what is known as the Abrahamic covenant. Covenant. This is the promise that God made to Abraham that through him he was going to bring about this nation that's going to bless the whole world. Through Israel, God is going to show how he wants people to live. And through this nation, he's going to bring about the Messiah, the man chosen by God to be the righteous ruler and redeemer of this world. And we know that Messiah now is Jesus. And I'm going to be getting ahead of myself here for just a second. But there are many passages in the New Testament that show us that Israel is also the beginning of the bigger plans that God has. The church is actually new Israel. It becomes the nation in which God rules as the church. And you can be a part of that nation through belief and faith. But let's keep moving on here. Another promise that God makes is to David in 2 Samuel 7. 12 through 4. So we have Abraham, who was the beginning of the nation, and David is a king over the nation. And this is what God says to David. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom Forever, I will be his father, and he will be my son. Now, this prophecy does relate directly to David's next, next of Ken, the next person who becomes king, that's Solomon. Solomon builds the temple, and he is a ruler that God establishes. But 
there are some ways in which this doesn't quite make sense with Solomon. Solomon died. He can't be a king if he's dead. Right? So what is this, I will, his kingdom will be forever? What is this talking about? Well, God is talking once again about his plans, about what he wants to do. He's talking about Jesus. And he's talking about how he's going to live forever. And that's how you can be a king forever, is if you live forever. Jesus also happens to be a man born in the line of David, a physical descendant of this king. God throughout history is showing us what he is doing. He's setting the backstory. And these plans are being laid, and you get more clarity, especially in books like Daniel. I'm just gonna, this is our last passage I want to show you today. This is what Daniel 7 says about the kingdom, about the Messiah, and about the people of this kingdom. Daniel 7, 13 through 14, and verse 18. In my vision that night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples from every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The saints, the highest one, will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, for all ages to come. God gives Daniel this vision, and in this vision, he sees the king that is coming. That's Jesus. He sees the ancient of days. That is God. And he sees the saints. That is us. It's dead. We're just going with it. The son of man is Jesus. Ancient of days is God. And the saints are us. We are all part of what Daniel is describing here. And that should make us excited that we get to possess the kingdom for all ages to come. So let's wrap things up here. This morning you've heard two backstories, right? You've heard two stories. You heard how Amber and I got to our point in our relationship, this point in our relationship, which probably is not important. But what's really important is that you've heard what God has done in history. And what his plans are for the future. So here is the big theme that I want you to take away from this first message. God's kingdom has its roots in history. It's not like history was moving along and God was making things up at each turn, scrambling, trying to figure out what to do. He has been methodically and purposefully planning and executing his plans throughout all of human history. God could not have made promises that we looked at today thousands of years before they would have taken place without knowing his end goals, without knowing what was going to happen. And the truth is that God does know what is going to happen. And that should give you confidence. God has established a people, and he wants you to be a part of it. God has a king, and he wants you to bow down to him. God has created a kingdom, and he wants you to be a part of it. And the really cool thing is that none of this is a secret. He wants you to know. That's why he wrote it down in this huge book. He wants you to know about it. He wants you to know about all the good and amazing things that he is doing. 
He wants you to know that you are in his plans. And it's what you do with this knowledge that really matters. The question is, are you going to believe and trust in God and his plans? Do you want to be a part of the kingdom? Do you want to be a part of the saints that are going to inherit the kingdom? And I I hope we all do. And when our heart falls in line with the plans of God, great things happen. We rid ourselves of fear and worry that comes with not knowing. We rid ourselves of the doubt in the future. And what God has done affects how we live. And that's what we're going to be looking at. Like I said, next week, we're going to be looking at what the future is, what, what the kingdom means for the age to come and to the future. And then we're going to be looking at the week after that, how that future reality affects how we should be living today. If you would, please join me in a prayer thanking God for revealing his awesome plans to us this morning. God, I do thank you so much for writing these words that we can look at, that we can study what you've done and what you've put in place. I just pray that the reality of the things that you've done and who you are gives us confidence and peace. I just pray that you reveal truth to us, that our minds and our hearts are open to hear what you have to say. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.